0: Hi, my name is Tim Bauma, and this is Definitely Identity. Definitely Identity is about all things identity. In this podcast, I will be talking to people about the interesting things that are happening in the world of identity, both in public and private sector, in the country and around the world. Welcome to episode 14 of Definitely Identity, and today's guest is Sam Smith of uh, ProSapien. So so welcome, Sam.
1: Oh, uh, pl- pleased to be here. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, so uh, b- before I go into your background, I just want to set a bit of uh, context for our listeners and how I came to know you. I guess I only got to know you or know uh, of oh, you maybe about a month or so ago, and um, through a mutual connection in the industry, if you will, uh, Drummond Reed. Um, that's been doing the work on the decentralized identifiers, and more recently been uh, involved with the Trust Over IP Foundation. And I'd heard I heard of your work, uh, the key event receipt infrastructure. And um, then I watched the SSI Meetup uh, seminar that you, that you had put together in May. I guess that, that was with Alex, and I went, Wow this stuff is incredible and um uh, I got totally excited I I I I I I sent a drum an email saying I got to know more about this stuff and uh understand the implications I really want to talk to the uh, to the author and so that's how I got to know you Sam so just with that brief uh, context maybe you can just tell me a bit about yourself your background and how you got in this space of SSI or more generally decentralized identity and then maybe talk about what was the genesis of this um this uh white paper the key event uh, uh receipt infrastructure so uh, i'll turn it over to you
1: oh sure tim so i, I, I my career started as a academic i was a, a full professor at, um, at my back my degree is in electrical computer engineering and i did uh sponsored research for the, the Department of Defense in autonomous underwater vehicles. My PhD work was in computational uh, intelligence and uh, uh, reinforcement learning. So I, I'm a machine learning AI guy all the way back uh, to the start of my career. Um, I did I did that for a few years. Uh, reached the point to where I um, I decided I wanted to become more of an entrepreneur. So I retired from the university and and started doing work uh, in uh, o- automation systems, continued to do research for the Navy in various uh, 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 projects that had to do with uh, machine learning and, and uh, automated reasoning. Um, uh, and then, oh, about 10 years ago, I decided uh, most of my the research I was doing for the Navy went classified, and I decided I didn't want to really keep pursuing down the classified path. So I essentially switched switched careers and and started doing work with uh, uh, cloud-based automation and applying my uh, automation and machine learning uh, background to that. And then in late 2014, I had some colleagues of mine who said, hey, look at this Blockchain stuff. This looks really cool, and the application uh, w- was to build uh, reputation systems, which would use heavily use uh, automated reasoning to develop, uh, you know, trusted reputation systems that were decentralized in nature instead of centralized. And so I did a deep dive mm-hmm. on on the related technologies, and and one of the things in uh, autonomous vehicles is is a field called coordinated control, where you're basically having a bunch of vehicles work together and so you're doing you know types of consensus and distributed consensus already for that so 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 I had some background and was familiar with some of the research already in that but it but you know it was new to me the the use for a cryptocurrency like bitcoin and so I so I did a deep dive in that and the end result was that in order I realized that in order to have a decentralized reputation system that's, you know, uh, with decentralized algorithms that are, that are credible, I needed to have some underlying identity system that I could use as uh, to secure the the whole infrastructure. And so that's when I uh, came up with the idea of using self-certifying identifiers as the basis for a decentralized identity system. or wrote a couple of white papers, the startup that I worked with, they ran off the end of the runway. So we weren't able to finish the work, but, but, uh, we did, you know, did have, have those white papers and then Evernim read the white papers and contacted me and I helped them architect what eventually became sovereign. Um, and based on uh, the idea okay. of, right. So, so, so I've been, I've continued to work in that space since then. Um, Doing, you know, working for various, either either as a strategic consultant or, you know, sometimes as an employee or or a principal in in some of the companies in the space.
0: Yeah, you know, that that that's that's fantastic background, and I think you know, I I I've done my own deep dive on the blockchain and and the uh, consensus mechanisms, and it, it really what boiled down to me, like the the Bitcoin address and the Ethereum address, was basically they were self-certifying identifiers that basically are derived from like your, your your private key to the public key and then the the corresponding address and then i realized oh wow like you could architect an an entirely new um system based on these self-certifying identifiers and then throw in the notion of consensus and the incentives and that with the distributed ledgers is that you could build an entirely new architecture so you know i was Kind of barely on that path, and kind of, I was thinking about that stuff. And then, when I encountered your paper and started to re- read through it, I went, "Holy cow! This is almost at the level, or at the level of like um, Vinton Cerf's paper in like the late '70s about like uh, uh, internet protocol and like uh, networking and subnetworking." And you really zeroed in on the idea that. Um, that there was a, a trust layer that was missing, and that's what was required for this new infrastructure. So, um, yeah. So m- maybe you could describe, like, uh, carry what the notion is, and then uh, talk about that that idea of that uh, the trust overlay for the internet that you that you talk about in your paper.
1: Sure. Um, so one of the things that is a hard problem in the identity space is key management, and most people approach it sort of like, well, we'll just do the hard stuff later. We'll do the easy stuff now, (laughs) we'll do the hard stuff later. And the problem is is you can't really do the hard stuff later. And the hard thing is rotation, key rotation, where you replace an authoritative set of keys with a new set of keys. And, And the typical approach is, well, we just need a rotation key. You know, and then we can use that rotation keys, to re- rotate our signing keys. The problem is, is that when you use the rotation key, it becomes exposed and vulnerable and therefore weakened by its, by its use. And so you say, well, then we'll have a, a master key that will manage the rotation key that manages the signing key. And and what you really get is you get this infinite regress of how do you address the fact that as soon as you use keys, they, they become, you know, weakened by, by their use uh, and, and what happens is is that the end result is, is most people sort of punt and say, well, what we'll do is we'll have a trusted entity, and this trusted entity will manage the infinite regress. We'll just trust them that they'll figure out how to do key rotation, and if we mess up with our keys, they'll just come out with a new key pair and make an assertion and say, here's the new key pair, trust me. And so that's, that's the state of identity today. Uh, administra- and I call it administrative identity systems or identity yeah. systems where key rotation is asserted. You say, here's an identifier. Here's the, here's the, here's the authoritative keys for this identifier. And if they can become exposed, we'll, we'll just make an assertion that, that this new set of keys is, is now the authoritative set of keys. But then when you peel back the onion, you go, well, how do you support the assertion? How do you protect that assertion, right? There's nothing there. It's just, it's just self-assertions all the way down. And so, and so the, the, the one thing in Kerry that sort of helped me get there was the idea of pre-rotation, that if you think about a rotation key, you can use it as a one-time rotation key, and then it becomes a signing key. But the way that works is that you make a cryptographic commitment to the next rotation key every time you do a rotation. So now you just have a sequence of rotation keys. And when you do a rotation, you can't use it anymore for a rotation. And because you haven't used the next key anywhere, it's never been exposed. So you have you just continue to refresh your security mechanism. So that gives you the basis for building everything else on top. So, so, that's, so pre-rotation it was sort of the thing that said, okay, we can solve key management with this. Now, how do we build everything else on top of that? And so the idea is that now, if I have self-certifying identifiers that are not trivial self-certifying identifiers. So a trivial self-certifying identifier is like a Bitcoin address or an Ethereum address, yeah. because mm-hmm. you can't rotate it, right? I mean, if if I if my if I lose my private key, I'm 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 done. So the way you refresh it is that you create a new Bitcoin address and you move all your funds to the new address. So you have You've essentially rotated the identifier in the process of rotating the keys, and so that's okay for for things like that where you can move all your funds. But if you want a persistent public identity or identifier like some enterprise or some nation or yeah. some global you know thing where you need a persistent identifier that has value that persists, then you, you you have to rotate keys. And so you have to come up with a mechanism for supporting the secure rotation of the keys while the identifier doesn't change. Because although at the at the inception point where you create the identifier, you can have it strongly bound to the keys because you can derive the identifier from the keys, but once you do a rotation to a new set of keys, that binding no longer exists. And so how do you establish... That, that sequence of rotations. And the way you do that is with a uh, cryptographic data structure that is basically non-reputable sign statements that are hash linked together. It's actually under the hood a little blockchain, but it's yeah. a blockchain only in the, the the narrowest textbook sense of the word which is just a hash chain data structure. There isn't, it, doesn't, it isn't a, share, a distributed total global ordering distributed consensus algorithm on a shared ledger on a network of nodes You know, that is running like a proof of work or a proof of stake or a Byzantine fault tolerant algorithm. It's just a data structure that is cryptographically verifiable. And that becomes your root of trust. And it's all cryptography. And so, with that, so, then you can build the rest of the infrastructure just using a cryptographic root of trust.
0: Yeah, and if I can re- recap, um, that's the absolute genius of your your paper is that notion of pre-rotation uh, committing to like a subsequent uh, uh, key pair, and uh, and then as you said, you can have like a mini blockchain underneath the hood that actually. Um, manages or verifies the 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 rotation of the keys and in my mind when when I read that and i understood the implications of that like it, it it it's an innovation that's as profound as like the proof of work and the permissionless systems so combine the proof of work if you want to build an absolute decentralized system that may have glo- like a global ordering um but it's not necessary but you can actually use um these self uh, self certifying identifiers that have that uh next key in the in the queue that's committed to that nobody it's not even used yet and that enables you to actually create that little uh hash chain uh so to speak to actually ensure that you have the right cryptographic material with that persistent identifier and when when i saw that i went oh great now we don't need um the, the we don't need to have a distributed ledger to kind of Give us that capability in an algorithmic sense. We can actually do it fully autonomously, or the, the 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 decentralized identifiers are completely independent and autonomous of one another. So for me, that was the core innovation of the of the paper.
1: Yeah, and and the, the and to, to reinforce that the with 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 key management, there's only one source of truth, and that is the holder of the private keys. So there's only one entity that can make a verifiable statement, is the holder of those keys. So a distributed consensus algorithm that is total ordering is basically ordering statements made by a bunch of clients. And then it's saying, Well, I've got client A, B, C, and D. They're all going to make statements. They're all signing their statements, but now I got to order their statements with respect to each other. Well, that works. That's that's a that's that's an essential feature. If you're going to do a cryptocurrency, because that's how you get double spend proofing, is to globally order all of the statements by all of the clients about all of the states of their, of their account balances or their UTXOs or whatever, whatever algorithm you're using for, yep. for, 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 for managing double spend proofing. But if all I'm doing is making statements about an identifier for which there is only one source of truth, and that is, the the holder of the keys that you, that generated the identifier in the first place. Then I then the only ordering that matters is the ordering made by the source of truth. That is the holder of those keys. And only that person can order anything or that entity can order anything. Therefore, you therefore you simplify all of the 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 distributed consensus algorithm down to a very simple, simple case that says I'm going to make statements and anybody can verify whether my statements are consistent. And if I ever make an inconsistent statement, as long as the verifier has a copy of the set of statements, then yeah. any new statement I make, they can verify to see whether or not it's consistent with the statements they already have. And so that gives you now pairwise uh, identity, which is, which is the, where, how most people should be using uh, decentralized identity because that's the most private way to use it. And then now if I need public identity, then I just need a a, a facility to do uh, public uh, consistency checking or duplicity detection, as I call it in, in, in the paper. But that's completely up to the verifiers, not the promulgator or holder of, or the creator of the public identity. So that separates those two realms so that you can build, scale them out independently. They're not a shared ledger anymore. So mm-hmm. I use the term uh, Separated control over shared data. The shared data is the the key event log is what we call it in carry of of the key events associated with a given identifier. The the holder creates the key event log, and the verifier gets the verifier, and the verifier can do global duplicity detection by sharing information with other verifiers, completely independently without needing to ask permission of the of the controller. And the controller is completely at the peril of the verifiers to be found out. And if it ever issues uh, an inconsistent statement, because all the statements are, are signed non-reputably, so, they're, so it's a provable liability the minute, you know, or the second it issues an inconsistent statement, anybody finds that they can broadcast that to the rest of the world and say, hey, this guy's inconsistent, don't trust him anymore.
0: Yeah, and, and just to recap that, like uh... – the in, in the cryptocurrency world, like the the requirement of total ordering that we talked about, may be a requirement to prevent the the double spending aspect. But for identifiers, self self certifying identifiers, you only need the notion of local ordering, local to the identifier itself. And as you said, like if you can cryptographically cryptographically ver- verify like the state transitions or the order of that mini hash chain, that that's all you need. And then for pairwise, you. Every, every identifier has its own verifiable log and then the, the points that you're making around du- duplicity there's the idea that uh, an identifier could have inconsistent behavior saying like like, and identifier A might present itself differently to identifier B and differently to identifier C have different logs, but those things can be found out. And um, basically the duplicity can be laid bare because if they're signed by the same identifier, you're basically saying that you're exhibiting two different behaviors to two different um, nodes. And here, here, here's, the, here's the evidence. But as you said, that, that is something you can build on the basic scheme of the, the pre-rotation
1: yeah and and there there's a precedent for for this idea of global de- duplicity detection uh google came out with something called transparency uh, uh certificate transparency and and so it's a it a lot of dns servers use it now and basically it's a it's a sparse merkle tree of uh, of certificates for for given domain names and and anybody can query that uh global transparency log to determine if there's ever been an inconsistent certificate issuance. And then they would know whether, then they would have an idea of, uh, that say, well, there's an, there's an inconsistency. Then they at least can detect that there's inconsistency so, so that they can then take uh, corrective action. And the, the difference with carry is that is that each of these logs is rooted in a self-certifying identifier. Which is uh, which, which is stronger than uh, a certificate because a cer- certificate uh, the connection between a certificates identifier and the, the keys is asserted by a certificate authority. So so, so you don't so you don't really have a, a good root of trust whereas with the self-certifying identifier there is one and only one identifier that that can belong to the the original key, key pair or key pairs that generate it and so so your your consistency goes all the way back to the root so so you so you have a a stronger guarantee but but the idea of of uh, having a global uh, duplicity detector or consistency checking is not is not a new idea it's just is just it just carry can benefit from it uh, more to a greater degree it benefits it from from a great degree, because it, because it starts with a with a strong root of trust.
0: Yeah, and I think that's a really important point: is the root of trust. It really boils down to the control and protection of that uh, private key. It really boils down to that, like the I think you call it the irreplaceable a root of trust, and that uh, forms part of the trust basis. And you know, as we talked about earlier. One of the problems around that is as soon as you start using that uh, private key or, or, or the public key, it can be potentially compromised. And then if you need to rotate it, if you have to use a trusted third party, then you're kind of back to square one, if not square zero. So um, the the pre-rotation enables you to advance to the next key that you pull out of your cellar, if you will. And then you can actually verify verify. That are actually this is the next the next key in the line. maybe you could talk about like the cryptographic trust basis. I know that you identified like three aspects here: the roots of trust like yeah, yeah actually and that's that's a, that's yeah. probably one of the better
1: ways to to look at identity system architectures is to look at their trust basis. And the way I use the term trust basis is it is that it's sort of a, gen, a way to generalize the set of things that you depend on. Uh, for security and and so there's two ways that i use the word trust there's trust from a secure cryptographic point of view and then there's trust from a reputational point of view and it makes and it makes and those two are important when you when you go far enough up the stack that you get to verifiable credentials but it but we're we're, we haven't got you know we haven't talked about that yet so so i just want to i just want to point out that that there's another type of trust that a lot of times when we when you say the word trust, what people are referring to is reputational trust, and it's and and I'm, and when I say root of trust, I'm talking about trust in the in the cryptographic or security sense, and in and usually when people use the term root of trust, they're talking about a hardware root of trust. They're basically mm-hmm. saying we've got some sort of hardware device that the physical protection of the hardware device is something we can trust we can trust that this device hasn't been tampered with the device itself so any attestations or statements that it makes we can trust that the keys that are stored inside the device haven't been haven't haven't been you know captured exposed and so so we can build on that trust basis and 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 and, and what Kerry is saying is okay let's draw a line and say if you have a key and your key management infrastructure protects that key then we can build an identity system starting with that set of keys. And if you choose to protect your keys well using TPMs or hardware security modules or trusted execution environments or whatever or threshold structures, then that is the strength of your security. And everything after that is, is actually not a problem because everything above that is just signed statements using non-reputable... Statements and the cryptography. As long as you're using what is called, you know, what is best best practice cryptography, say 128 bits of uh, cryptographic strength, then then it's practically infeasible for anybody to attack the cryptography. They're not going to invert, you know, they're not going to invert your your signatures. They have to attack your keys. And yep. so this changes how people design, how you think about designing a security system. We're starting with key management says if your key management's good and your signing infrastructure is good and at the other end your your signing verification infrastructure is good then what happens in between doesn't matter because the worst that somebody can do is delete messages they can't forge them they can't they can't create fake messages they can't do any, any of the bad stuff that that you really care about, the worst they can do is delete it, and it's easy to fix deletions because all you need is redundancy. So all you need is good key management and some redundancy. One of the,
0: and, the way, yep. yeah, go ahead what, what, one of the ways that I've been describing it to my colleagues and the departments and agencies that I work with is that there's two aspects of trust. One is what I call Technical trust, which is all the stuff that we're discussing here, that really boils down to the protection of those keys. And then there's the institutional trust, stuff leading up to issuing something into that network. And the way I like to describe the problem, the approach that I would like is that if we can have a solid cryptographic basis or an approach that enables us to, as governments or the you know, citizens or whatnot, to not worry about the technical aspect of trust. And that's where I see uh, Carrie comes in the picture that if you can actually ensure the control of those keys, which is actually then becomes an institutional problem of how you actually protect those keys, but how those keys are actually used, um, as you said, it doesn't really matter for anything in between because you can actually uh, trace everything back to those signatures, everything that's signed against those identifiers and the cryptographic materials. So then, it nicely bifurcates the problem into again what I call technical trust and whatever the supporting infrastructure might be, and then the institutional trust, which is all the human webware kind of stuff that you actually have to deal with, uh, notwithstanding.
1: Yeah, and that, and I would call what you're calling repu- uh, institutional trust, I I call that reputational trust because, yeah. right? It's the it's the it's the. Operational integrity of the institutional organization that that you trust, uh, but you're not. Um, yeah, so so that's a, that, but that's a good way to look at it because that's the that's what makes that's what enables us to solve the the trust problem on the internet. the The internet protocol doesn't it wasn't built wasn't built with security when it was first built, and so the way security is added is is by what I call a an identity system security overlay and the security overlay says i'm going to create an identifier i'm going to associate that identifier with a with a, a an asymmetric key pair and then when i send messages i'm going to include that identifier and a signature around the message made with the private key of that key pair somebody who gets that message then can look up from the identifier find the public key, verify the signature on the data, and then they can say assuming that that key pair actually is the authoritative key pair for that identifier, then I can verify that that message came from the authentic source. And that assumption is all where all the security exploits come from on the internet. It is that the the that the that the key pair and the identifier aren't strongly bound together in in many in most of the ident- identity systems that we use and so there are three trust bases based on three ways three ways to solve that that uh, binding problem and I, and I have a diagram that I use yep. in my paper that there's a there's a trust triad so you have a controller which is the holder of the private keys you have key pairs which are the public-private key pairs, and you have an identifier. And so there's a binding between each of those. There's a binding between the controller and the key pair, between the key pair and the identifier, and the identifier and the controller. In in an administrative identity system, the binding between the key pair – well, in all of the systems, the binding between the controller and key pair is strong. And the reason it's strong is because only the controller creates the key pair, only the controller holds the private keys, and as long mm-hmm. as that controller keeps its private key secret, that binding is strong. So that's the strongest thing we have in the system. If that goes away, we have nothing. There's nothing that will work. If you can't protect your secrets, nothing works, right? So, so we start with the thing that we that 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 everybody has to have, and we say. Do we need any more than that? Can we build a system that only assumes that your secrets that you keep your private key secret? If we don't have to depend on anything beyond that, then we have the secure system that we can possibly build. And that's and that's the and that's the design aesthetic for for Carrie was minimally sufficient means. So I started and it says, Well, no matter what I do, I have to protect my secrets. So do what else do I need to add to that? And I said, Can I can I make the whole thing based on just protecting my secrets? And and so the way I do that is that I look at the next binding, the binding between the key pair and the identifier. Well, if I have an identifier that's just some identifier, there's no way for me to make that binding cryptographically strong. There's no way to make it secure. I'm just having somebody assert that 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 binding exists. And however they assert it, whether they sign it or not, it's based on their 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 reputation and their institutional trust right and th- and that's weak that's inherently weak we have 30 years of people you know hacking into servers and hacking into systems yeah. and proving that, th- that there's always going to be weaknesses exposed there you can always patch them up you can make that stronger you can you can use due diligence you can do best practices but it's a, but it's just a it's just an arms race eventually they'll find something else whatever it is but but the cryptography is really the cryptography is designed so that, that it's practically infeasible and and we can talk about pre quantum and post quantum but just just this just not to confuse things just say pre quantum. You know, if I've got 128 bits of, of cryptographic strength, it's practically infeasible for someone to invert it. And and mm-hmm. when I say cryptographic strength, I'm talking about one-way functions. That's all cryptography really provides. Yep. If you boil it all down, it's just one-way functions. You know, whether it's this, whether it's a uh, pri- public-private key derivation or a signature or a or a digest or encryption, it's just one-way functions, right? And mm-hmm. and and if I can invert the one-way function, if it takes a trillion years of all the supercomputers on the planet to invert a one-way function, then then it's practically infeasible. And so that's so if I got 128 bits of of cryptographic security pre-quantum, it's practically infeasible. And there are things that are also post-quantum that we can use now, and they're 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 post-quantum techniques we can use. You know, so 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 we're 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 good there. It's just a matter of of cost and time. So 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 what I so to so to solve the second binding between the key pair and the identifier you use what's called a self-certifying identifier. And what that is is a one-way function where the the public key is in the input of the one-way function and the output is a cryptographically strong function. And using the public key itself fits that definition because the public key itself is a one-way function from a private key, but you don't have to use the public key. You can use a, a digest. You can take a public key or a bunch of public keys and other information and do a digest and then, and then get a, get an identifier. And the digest is your identifier. Well, well the only person that can, that can prove control over that digest is the holder of the private keys. If you're following the protocol that says, okay, I derived it this way. I know what the derivation process is. So there's only the holder of the private keys can prove control over the identifier. So now we have a cryptographically strong binding between the, the, the key pair and the identifier. And because the derivation is performed by the controller, you now have uh, crypt- uh, a cryptographically strong binding between the controller and the identifier because the controller generates the identifier and, and the controller by signing any challenge can prove control over the identifier. So now we have th- now yeah. we have a trust triad that's completely strong, completely based on cryptography, not dependent on anything else. It's only dependent on one thing, that you protect your your private keys. That's it. So that makes that our whole our whole design based on key management. And so this is what I like to tell people that Kerry's philosophy is that it's much easier to secure your private keys than to secure everyone else's internet infrastructure.
0: <laughs> that's a great way. I, I, the way you describe the paper, it's, it's basically these bolt-on architectures that you're constantly applying patches and they constantly get compromised. And and what you're proposing here is a totally different approach is that going right back to the protection of the keys. That's where it all ends up. It's not these, um, these uh, add-ons after after the fact, it makes for a very healthy industry on solving these problems that always come up over and over again. But what you're proposing is to literally go back to the origin, focus on the keys and make everything, the security flow from the protection of those keys. That's right. Um,
1: And so, and so it's, it's just, it's just acknowledging that in the modern world, people have to manage keys for, you know one of the reasons that we went down in my opinion that we went down the path we did to administrative identity was that 30 years ago people said managing public private key pairs that we just can't expect people to do that that's too hard so what we're going to do is we're going to we're basically going to manage that for them we're going to hold the keys and we'll give them access via a password and a login and and we built you know, all of the identity providers, OpenID Connect, OAuth, yep. you know, you name it. Just go through all the systems and they're all based on this idea that we can't people can't manage keys. The administrator will manage the keys on their behalf, and then you know, we'll build this even or 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 what we'll do is we'll we'll let them manage keys, right? But the identifier will manage, because the identifiers yep. are our identifier and 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 so so there's an interesting thing. So I talked about Kerry's root of trusts, which is cryptographic. When I talked about administrative root of trust. There's one in the middle, and the one in the middle is a is a d- d- shared uh, consensus distributed ledger or all, or blockchain. Let's just you know shared yep. ledger, right? And and here's the thing: there there are there there are several different ways that you can protect things in security. You know, when we talked about physical security with like devices, like a trusted computing device or a trusted platform module or a trusted execution environment, something like that. Well, there's another way to protect things. It's called, and Nick Zabo used this term years ago when he wrote a, a really good white paper on the idea. It's called a threshold structure. And a threshold structure says, I'm going to have multiple copies, each uh, of which a multi, you know, some subset usually typically a majority or supermajority, must be all compromised simultaneously for the system to be compromised. And so Mm -hmm. when I say that, most people, the first thing they think is, oh, yeah, that's blockchain, that's distributed consensus. But there are two other threshold structures we use all the time that that are actually older in in use in security. One of those is multi-factor authentication. Multi-factor authentication is a type of threshold structure. Another one is a multi-signature. A multi-signature scheme is a type of threshold structure, where you're basically saying, let's say I've got a two of three. So, so if I have two signers, the only way for somebody to capture control is to is, is they have to capture two of the three signers. That means they have to compromise two keys instead of one, or two sets of keys under the control of, you know, possibly different different key protection mechanisms, right? And, and multi-factor, we know you can have really, really weak factors of authentication, but in combination with two or three of them, you can have something very, very, very strong. And distributed consensus is just just the other end of the spectrum. It's saying, yeah, we're going to use an algorithm that says we can make guarantees about, about the distributed consensus pools, management of a ledger, As long as a certain number of the, you know, 51% in the case of proof of work or, you know, F in the case of like a Byzantine, you know, PBFT algorithm can be failed, um, but we can still trust in the security of the system. We make those guarantees. Well, well, those things work for key management as well. We can do the same sorts of things in our key management so that we can build tradeoffs in our key management. That allows us to make trade-offs between performance and security and convenience. Uh, And and once once you recognize that you can employ all of those techniques on the key management side, it enables you to build scalable key management. so, So that's where it becomes really interesting, especially for like, say, the Canadian government, is if you want to build a nation scale identity system, then you need to have operations that scale horizontally. And and blockchains just don't scale, you know. Shared blockchains just don't scale very well horizontally.
0: But, yeah, I, I, absolutely. I guess the the but, other point is I'm finding that a lot of the classical engineering disciplines are kind of coming back into play with this stuff. And again, I'm a mechanical engineer by training, and, and a lot of the descriptions you're talking about are like fail-safe systems, redundant safety measures that you know are in planes and you know, oh yeah, machinery and that. And so now now we're seeing. Those type of uh, engineering disciplines kind of coming coming back into key management, and building these systems. So it's really cool to see the evolution of the discipline into, you know, what I would say more of the classical type of engineering approaches.
1: Yeah. So, so, so d- but to finish my thought on the three roots of trust, a shared a total global ordering shared distributed consensus ledger is a highly secure structure. It's, a, it's using a threshold mm-hmm. structure. You can really depend on it. You can use it as a secure root of trust. So, so for the last several years, there have been quite a few identity systems that were built on the idea well, we can use a blockchain as our root of trust. We can register stuff on the blockchain, and we can do our key rotations and our key operations with transactions on the blockchain. And from, from a security perspective, I don't have a problem with that. I mean, that, that's a reasonably secure way to do it. It's certainly certainly way more secure than an administrative route of trust because yeah. you, you put it out there. But the problem, the problem with using a ledger as your route of trust is that if you want identifiers to be truly self-sovereign, To be truly decentralized then you can't then you can't have your root of trust be a ledger because the ledger itself is a centralizing construct and and i know this sounds odd to say that ledgers are centralizing but they are because the ledger itself is a central entity it's governed in a decentralized way but anything that's locked to that ledger can't go to another ledger it's it's it has ledger locked and so it's not portable and and so you can think of it as as we have all these ecosystems we've got the ethereum ecosystem the bitcoin ecosystem sovereign ecosystem, various ecosystems and if I put an identifier to where its root of trust is is on that ledger, then I can't move the identifier to another ecosystem that means that my my, my I have to commit as the owner of that identifier to that ecosystem. And that's and that's and that really isn't as decentralized as an ecosystem where where if I control an identifier, I it, it should move with me. I want to be have, have portability and I always use the example of phone number portability. You know, a lot of people don't even remember those days when if you had an AT&T phone, you could not move your phone number to Verizon. You couldn't you had to get a new phone number and you had to tell everybody, yeah, I decided to switch cell phone providers and so I got to tell everybody my new phone number because AT&T owns that phone number, right? I'm just renting it. Well, you know, that changed to where we had cell phone number portability. Well, well, one of the motivations for Carrie was to truly have decentralized identity. The identifiers themselves need to be portable across whatever infrastructure that you're using for whatever reason. And because Carrie uses this totally decentralized cryptographic root of trust you can you it allows you if you want to also put your key event logs on a ledger right you can use it as a secondary root of trust but it's replaceable and that's the term i use a primary root of trust is irreplaceable and a secondary root of trust is replaceable so so you can you can use a ledger or not you can use multiple ledgers or none at all. It's your choice as the controller of the identifier, and so that that so that's why I say, carry is really the first truly decentralized identifier system. So In, if
0: if if I can add, you, you actually with that answered or articulated the problem and answered a concern that I couldn't quite put my finger on. Uh, and again, thinking from our perspective, if we're going to build like a nation scale or nation grade capability uh, there was a dependency on the ledger and it, the term that you used the ledger lock and that was a concern and i wasn't you know it it's it's way better than the administrative uh, systems that we talked about earlier but as you said even though you're advancing to like an, an algorithmic or consensus based you still had a, a you know a, a centralizing construct and a, and a dependency that you might not be able to get yourself out of. And that was always the, that was the sort of the the, the problem that was gnawing in my gut. I didn't quite know how to articulate it, but you essentially answered that in your, your, your paper. And then you move on to these, this autonomous identifiers that are completely independent of the underlying infrastructure. And then you can actually use what you said, the secondary root of, trusts or and um you can actually switch that out those are substitutable so if there's something that you don't like today you can switch it out for example you might use like ipfs instead of like that's a, right
1: you could use you could use ipfs but if yeah. but if you have an ecosystem where you have applications that are using ethereum for other reasons right they're using ethereum for other reasons besides identity then you can put you can you can put your identifiers public ones hopefully because. You know, once you put them on Ethereum, you've got privacy and GDPR issues. But assuming that that's not the, the, you know, that's well, okay. Let's let's just call a spade a spade, right? The, The other problem with ledgers, besides Ledger Lock, is that right now there's huge amounts of regulatory uncertainty with regard to GDPR, whether or not a pseudonymous identifier put on a ledger is is not it does doesn't violate gdpr your right to be forgotten because some of the interpretations say that any correlatable you know uh material i you know including digests and pseudonymous identifiers that is correlated to pii is itself pii and if that's the case then once you put an identifier on a ledger that's immutable you can't forget it you can't delete it Without destroying the integrity of the ledger, you you you're now you're now you're now in a regime where where your only defense is to say, well, my ledger is sufficiently permissionless that the regulators can't go after can't go after anybody. But but that's a completely different argument than to say you actually enable the right to be forgotten. You basically said, well, you have a right to be forgotten, but you can't enforce it. Whereas with Carrie, because the identifier trust bases are totally separable, then you can delete your key event log. You can go to anybody that has a copy and say, here, delete it, and they they can comply.
0: Yeah, uh, Canadian law, basically it would qualify as personal information. Basically personal information is any information about an identifiable person. Doesn't matter how hashed it is or quote unquote anonymized, if it can be correlated, However, maybe not today, but maybe like decades from now, and that's where putting it on a blockchain or distributed ledger is problematic. That um, it may not be useful today, but it can be useful like decades from now.
1: Yeah, there's yeah, it's a one, it's a, it's it's a a, uh, privacy is um, is never absolute and diminishes with time.
0: Yeah. And and so, in effect, what you've done there is, um, again, the notion of ledger lock, but the, the idea of immutability on a ledger actually becomes not a feature, it becomes a liability. And so we can actually get away, get away, get away from that as well. Yeah.
1: Um, So, but, but I don't want to, I don't want to tell, I don't want to give the message that look, throw away all of the ledger based identity systems out there because they're doing some good. They're moving away from administrative identity, which which is much more problematic. And Carrie says that if you're if you have a reason to use a ledger and you're okay with the GDPR concerns of using ledger, either because it's unenforceable or for other reasons, um, that you can use the ledger, but you're not locked to it. And so you can use the ledger for storage and discovery. You can use the ledger for, you know, convenience. Um, it it Carrie doesn't care about that.
0: Yeah, and, and the other point I want to make is that I'm looking at it more from the point of view of not only understanding the technology, but what might be the the policy implications or longer term implications. And so. Now, I I feel like we're equipped that we don't have to be in a position to make what I would call false choices. It has to be decentralized or decentralized. It can actually be a a, a spectrum of choices. And I I really like that notion of administrative algorithmic to autonomous. And each of those choices have downsides and upsides. And... um, we, we 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 can actually inform our strategic direction to say, well, you know, maybe we'll use ledgers for now because we can actually get some good utility out of that by recognizing that there may be issues around, as you said, GDPR or or privacy. Uh, recognizing that, but then we have some other options, like uh, carry, for example, that we can actually entertain as well. And you know, we're very early in the policy discussion. Who knows? Maybe we'll just say we'll skip right over to carry and focus on that for like a. And again, this is just me speaking, not on behalf of the government. Like a, a nation, nation-grade capability that could be totally independent of that second secondary infrastructure. So, if if anything, what you've done is that you've begun to answer some of those. Uh, questions that I've had in my gut on how how would this play out in 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 the future, and I thought maybe just uh, to to kind of start wrapping this up. Just where do you see things going, or how do you see Carrie developing? I know that you've got the, the the paper out. Like in reading it, you can tell it's based on decades and decades of work and research and drawing upon prior work and you are actually starting to do some implementations. Uh, I've seen that on on GitHub, and I know that you're doing work with the uh, Decentralized Identity Foundation with Trust over IP, and I think um, Drummond and his team are figuring out how to map this into like the W3C Decentralized Identifier standard. So just just curious, where where do you see this uh, playing out and what the implications are for like what I would call like new digital platforms on the horizon, and what what do what do we need to do for the next steps?
1: Well, um, so the so there, the 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 home right the home for carry right now is the Decentralized Identity Foundation, and we've got several companies that have donated development effort. It's an Apache Two open source license stuff. So anybody who wants to help out is welcome to come join um we're right now developing the carry core key event state verifier engine which is the basis for all all of the all, you know ma- ma- manage key state for persistent identifiers that's the 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 heart the 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 hard part of carry um the IIW which is the internet Identity workshop coming up in 2 weeks will have some sessions of that so if somebody's interested and they want to 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 sort of sort of you know dive in that's a good place to 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 interact with the people that are working on it um, there are some groups that are looking at carry seriously for for uh, identifier systems that i think we'll probably see some announcements in the next few weeks um, of a commitment to develop carry carry's not in production yet um, but we we our target is to have have the first You know production class libraries done by the end of the year for for basic carry stuff so so throughout 2021 expect to see carry reach increasingly high levels of availability um uh from a uh from a uh from a enterprise scale right we talk nation scale enterprise scale one of the things that that you have to read further into the carry white paper to, 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 figure out, but we have really haven't talked about today, but just, just so your listeners know that it's there is that carry supports a, 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 a delegated identifier model. What this, what a delegated identifier model does, it accomplishes two things. It allows you to have something, what I call a multivalent key management infrastructure. So remember is all based about key management. Well, the problem is, is that if I want to have really really good key management right like the best possible key management And what i'll do is i'll have key creation happen in a bottom of a coal mine somewhere that's completely air gapped and all this physical security and i transport the public keys from the key pairs that i generate up to the surface and then if i want to sign something i transport it down you know so that there's just no way for anybody over the internet to get to that well that's not really convenient that doesn't scale very well right but if i can delegate an identifier that's recoverable by an event from my bottom of the coal mine identifier, then my delegated identifier, I could have multiples of those. So I can horizontally scale my delegated identifiers. If they become compromised, I can always recover them using the pre-rotation capability of carry and restore my security. And I can do that delegation as a tree. I can have multiple layers, each layer making trade-offs between key management convenience And performance and security and horizontal scalability which means any hierarchically structured organization i can map my keys and i have a single root of trust which is my root my root identifier so when you think about any organization that wants to to interact they can be their own trust domain they can make their own root of trust which is their root key and they can build their whole infrastructure that's recoverable back to the root key, which that's the one thing they have to protect really, really well. Everything else can be weaker and still be recovered. And so that means that you can, and and everybody that's interacting in an ecosystem can either decide to share a root of trust because there's some organization li- like a government or like, you know, some organization that is creating identifiers that that they all want to share their organizational integrity for. Um, and they want to share share that, or everybody can have their own. and so that that means that that you can design your root of trust as strong as you want it
0: to be. so I am at page seventy one of your uh, paper, which is 140 pages, and then right. just start and just starting to get into the multivalent aspect. I think um, the uh, the point here is that it's an incredible piece of work, and there's a lot of detail and a lot of elaboration. And I'm hoping that um, I'll be able to get through that material. I basically skimmed it. I ha- I, I, I understand it notionally, but I'll, I'll have to delve into that. So I, I think we'll we'll leave it there, Sam. Like this has been really awesome. And as I said, I'm totally excited. And uh, I guess before we before we wrap up, I, I just uh, want to ask, like, what's the best way for people to find out where your work is? Is it
1: um, so my GitHub my GitHub page? I have all the white papers and stuff. I usually post it to my GitHub page. So it's Smith Samuel M. It, that's my yep. GitHub handle, Smith Smith Samuel M. And then if you just look under the papers and presentations, you'll see them there. We just stood up. It's not, it's not really – it's still a little bit rough. We're trying to get it completed for IAW. A website to, to publicize information about Carrie called carry.one. that's the domain name, k-e-r-i dot o-n-e okay and so that's that sites up but it just doesn't have a lot of information on yet but but over the next couple of weeks we'll we'll we're going to aggregate all of the papers and blogs and and presentations and you know and you know put links to it on there so people can go there and and find all stuff carry um and then the diff the diff project if you go to the decentralized identity foundation there's a carry project um uh that that also has like the repos and stuff for the diff work and some of the sp- the spec work that's going on there
0: perfect I'll, I'll put those links in the show notes and i just a quick uh, shout out to the internet identity workshop i think it's a uh, uh version edition 31 is happening in a couple of weeks and basically where new protocols are born like that's where the the, the titans of the industry go. Yeah, so Samuel, uh, I really ID
1: Connect, <laughs> uh, Sovereign, you know uh, it, yeah uh, that that's that's the that's the place
0: yeah that's where new protocols are born and uh, and a quick shout out to like sSI meetup uh, alex did an outstanding uh session a seminar uh with you and I'll, I'll put that link up as well so um really appreciate it sam uh, um there's a lot of stuff here i, I probably our listeners will be uh, scrambling for the the white paper or the seminars to absorb the material but um, I, I am like totally excited, and it's really captured my imagination. I'm really looking forward to the the, the future of this work because it's 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 answering some fundamental questions that have been uh, niggling uh, at me. And yeah. I really appreciate that that I I I've, like now now it's actually we got we got to build this new architecture with these with these new capabilities. So I really uh, appreciate that. Yeah, so, I, I just thought of a couple anyway, of. Just those before
1: I, I just thought sure. of a couple of other things. So there's a a, a book coming out on, on decentralized identity, and chapter 10 of the book is on Carrie. Um And that's Drummond Reed's the ed- editor of that. So that's a, another place to look. And also, I, I, I'm i just wrapping up a white paper that I'm going to publish for IAW on what I call a unified identifier model. So it leverages carry to unify identifier systems. So that's just a little teaser. Um, <laughs>
0: Oh that, that's great and, and shameless self-promotion. I, I'm actually in that book as well as, as a co-author on uh, self-sovereign identity in Canada. So really looking forward for that book to come out and yeah now, that link in the show notes as well. Yeah, so. that's a
1: good place. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. so thanks again, Sam. I'll, I'll just uh, just want to thank everyone for uh, staying with this podcast to the end and again, this is another episode of Definitely Identity.